Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands for a long time after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge and stories and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling today and every day here at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present. We are broadcasting from Redfern right now. Redfern is the birthplace of black theatre in this country, and it's a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. You are listening to Race Matters, made by people of colour, speaking with people of colour, about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Darren Lasagas. We will be joined by First Nations playwright Dylan Vandenberg. He's an award-winning playwright and currently part of the Ilbajeri Theatre Company's Black Rights Program. You might be familiar with his work already. He tells stories of First Nations identity, relationships, and relationships with settlers as well. His new work, Whitefella Yellow Tree, uh, will soon be showing at Griffin Theatre Company. It's a play about two young First Nations boys and uh, a friendship that blossoms into a first love. It's tender and it's intimate and it's also set to the backdrop of a pre-invasion Australia. And soon we'll talk to Dylan about how this play came to be, what queer black love on stage looks like and what we take away from that kind of theatre. Dylan Vandenberg is a First Nations award-winning playwright, he's an actor and dramaturg, and his new work, White Fella Yellow Tree, puts front and centre the beauty of black queer love. Dylan joins us to talk about what that looks like on stage. Dylan, thank you so much for joining us. You know, your play follows the lives of two young protagonists, Ty and Nettie. We follow their friendship in the setting of a pre-invasion Australia. Their friendship then blossoms into a tender young love and queer romance. When creating an intimate world and story like this what kind of knowledge systems did you draw on first um i think you know i draw my my own knowledge system so i'm a palawa person from the northeast of tasmania with family connections so they're in the bass strait islands and um you know queerness has existed in first nations communities um for tens of thousands of years and so um that uh, you know queer people have a place within our communities and that's something we've always known uh, and it wasn't until you know the arrival of um the white fellas and settlers that, you know, this idea of um, morality and um, and homophobia, the poison of homophobia was introduced. So, um, you know, I, I drew upon the stories that I knew from my own community, from other communities um, across this place we call Australia, um, and kind of tried to synthesise them into a story that was representative of, of um, you know, um, a, a pre-invasion um, queerness uh, and, and then juxtaposing that with what happened afterwards. Mm. Zooming out a bit to what inspired the writing of this play, can you speak to, I guess, what question this play is answering? I guess the the, the question the play is asking and answering, mm. or um, or at least throwing a grenade out there, I think, is you know, did did, did 
queerness exist in um, First Nations um, communities prior to invasion. You know, a lot of recorded history suggests that um, First Nations communities were heteronormative and so on, and that's, you know, the white lens through which a lot of people look at look at um, our communities pre-invasion. So I think the question is, did it exist? And the answer is, uh, yes, it did. <laughs> um, and, and this play is really trying to write back um, to that time, fill in some of the gaps in, in history uh, and tell, um, you know, a queer love story that never got to be told over West where, um, you know, men could have a husband and a wife. Um, you know, I feel like First Nations people were the original, um, you know, ethical non-monogamous. <laughs> so um, it's really, really wonderful to kind of uh, dig in and, and, and learn a little bit about the di- different family structures, different relationship structures that existed. Going back to the play, I guess what are the considerations you make in your writing process knowing that it will eventually be watched by so many people um you know the push and pull of writing for an audience who in the audience are you writing for um i mean yeah i mean my writing process is fueled by terror and anxiety and gin mainly um and (laughs) i think when i'm when i'm sitting there thinking about um you know the story um you know you do give some consideration to the audience and i think for me i'm trying to write to um, young queer black folks or just young queer folks generally I think you know it's it's tough for for, um, for all of those mob um, growing up but definitely for young First Nations um, kids who are you know coming to terms with their identities who wonder whether their identity fits in with their culture and their background and their heritage um, you know for myself growing up um, it was you know a really confusing time and then when you have uh, people like uh, Anthony Mundine who come out and comment on Twitter with things around, you know, that, that homosexuality didn't exist in our communities and so on. Um, it can be quite disorienting, you know, how distressing, how false um, to read that your identity is at odds with your culture um, and how destabilising to see, you know, non-First Nations people cling on to comments like that as though they carry some weight because he, you know, is, is an Aboriginal man. So um, I'm writing for, for that mob and hopefully they can, they can see that their, their love is valid and that um, it's, it's supported. Um, you know, this is one story and there are thousands of other stories that can be told. And what I hope is that someone sees it and it sparks a conversation or sparks a story or sparks something within them uh, to keep telling th- their own stories. You know, mm. First Nations experiences aren't homogenous. There are different ones. This is just, you know, one particular perspective and lens on it. Uh, and I hope that, um, you know, it, it, it contributes to and participates in a broader conversation around this stuff. How do you navigate the reclaiming of historical ancestral queerness in First Nations communities when it continues to be, you know, erased by white colonial systems? Um, I just grab it with both hands and take it back. <laughs> um, you know, for, for, for such a long time, obviously, we were chatting earlier around, you know, this idea of queerness um, was erased, continues to be erased. Um, there is this pervasive idea that First Nations communities are, you know, fundamentally heteronormative. And so, you know, it's... Um, it's uh, difficult uh, and also kind of exhausting to have to constantly turn back, grab a piece of history, um, scrub the grime off and, you know, (laughs) shine a new light on it. But ultimately, um, you know, I think it's a really empowering thing. I think that the most empowering thing, one of the most empowering things that First Nations writers, artists, creatives can do is to um, reclaim history Mm. uh, and to, you know, um, demonstrate that, uh, you know, there are stories there that need to be unpacked and need to be told. 
And, you know, you spoke to this earlier. There are so many stories and so many ways to tell these stories. Um, and I want to talk about, I guess, the form of your writing. I'm curious about how you use time as a device. In this play, it's set in an imagined 19th century Australia before it's the collie that it is now. In a previous work, you've looked into the far future of a climate catastrophe. What does playing with time I guess, unlock for you when you explore your queer and black characters outside of the present moment? Oh, first, I think playing with time is me just being a bit lazy. So I don't <laughs> have to be too specific about anything. Um, but no, I, I find playing with time really helpful. I mean, it helps with imagined pasts and imagined futures and imagined nows. You know, it, it, it really kind of allows us to... Um, see the connection between you know what's happened and what what's to come and you know in in most you know, many first nations cultures you know our dreaming stories are, are timeless that things are circular um, and so I think that it's really important to kind of um, you know nod towards that in my work but particularly in White Valley Yellow Tree I mean you know that the two boys speak and act as though they're from today but it is set a couple of hundred years ago but again that's just to, to highlight that so many of the things that were introduced back then are still ideas and still things that are happening now uh, and I think it can be a potent tool for you know highlighting how um, how little things have changed but also that how you know one small change um, can have you know a, a ricochet effect into the future as well. Mm. I feel like a lot of what we conceptualize as queerness is imagined realities or like imagined past, imagined presence, imagined futures, as you said, that, you know, queer people are forced to make these imaginations reality. How far off do you think we are to realizing what you write in your work? You know, how, 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 how far off do you think we are to seeing the reality that is in white fella yellow tree? Um, uh, look, <laughs> I think that, I think that we're a, a long way off and I wouldn't want to put, any money on it um <laughs> but but you know i think that what we can do is glimpse a, a sense of like what that future is and you can't have something if you can't see it uh and so i think that hopefully you know a couple of generations from now we'll be in a place where um you know you can fall in in love in a context without shame and i think you're know, looking at other artworks at the moment like Heartstopper, big fan um on on netflix you know these two two um young young fellas fall in love um, in a world still riddled with shame, but a little bit less shame than the generation or the generation before that. And so I think incrementally we're getting somewhere and that hopefully um, these imagined spaces will will become reality. Mm. Dylan, I want to speak a bit more broadly about um, theatre. A lot of theatre work in Australia is taking charge in addressing you know the long uh, racial and class disparities in the industry, um, and it does it so it does it implicitly, you know, by having these plays on at all is already, you know, a sense of progression. We've definitely had a lot of these conversations here on race matters. How do you think that relationship with the theatre is changing in your experience? Look, I think it is changing, but I think it's slow. I think that we'd be patting ourselves on the back too much if we were to say that, you know, we're we're headed towards the renaissance of some kind. Um, you know, for my own experience in, in navigating the, the theatre world as, a, as someone who's still really emerging in this space is that, you know, these companies are um, white run uh, and there they're are gatekeepers for, um, you know, underrepresented um, writers, artists out there. And so, you know, we have a lot to overcome and often we're being told the kind of work that we should be making. You know, we should be mining our own trauma. We should be um, you know, digging up history in a way that doesn't resonate with us, but you know, these companies feel like might resonate with their with their audiences or after something very particular. Uh, and so, you know, so long as our work is kind of 
mandated by by gatekeepers i think that you know it's not going to be there, there'll be no authentic change in that direction um however when companies do create the space to allow us to you know create work that's important to us that speaks directly to our communities or, or parts of our community um as, as griffin have given me then i think you know we we are moving in the right direction but there's still a long way to go uh, Dylan, we are nearing our time together uh, this morning. Uh, we are talking about your new work, Whitefellow Yellow Tree, which will be showing at Griffin Theatre uh, on, from the 19th of August. There is one question that we ask all our guests before um, we let them go as they come through the show, and that's, Dylan, when did you realise there was power in your race? I realised there was power uh, in my race when... Uh, I wrote my my first play a few years ago and um, at a stage reading of the work, I had um, a few young um, Aboriginal kids come up and tell me that uh, they resonated with the work. It was about, um, you know, having white skin and whether you own the stories of your ancestors, um, you know, when, when you don't you don't look like they do and you didn't experience the same things. And when uh, they realised that there's, there's power in kind of naming yourself and, and, and grabbing hold of the past. So, um, yeah, it would have been then. Wow. Dylan Vandenberg, thank you so much uh, for coming through the show this morning. Um, Whitefellow Yellow Tree is his new work. It will be showing at Griffin Theatre Company from the 19th of August to the 23rd of September. And we'll pop a link up on the program page for you to get tickets directly for that. And moving from one story of queerness and masculinity to another exploration of gender. Earlier this week, Sharika Heluden spoke to TNNT from Deify Collective down in Ngunnawal country. Deify is a platform that centers the experiences of queer, trans, intersex people who also identify as black, First Nations and people of color. They just released a zine called Queer Masculinities, exploring the ways that masculinity can be understood outside of a white, hetero and colonial framework. We begin with TNNT speaking about why it felt important to start a conversation on queer masculinities and how they began putting together the zine. I think a lot of um, the discourse around masculinity today is drawing attention and awareness of the um, toxic and negative aspects of masculinity that have been created in our society, which is absolutely the first um, step in the right direction. However, I think we lack the same uh, community conversation about what we should be striving towards and how to support um, masculine folks in this journey, especially for a lot of um, queer and trans BIPOC people. Um, The image of masculinity and all those sort of negative aspects that get the most discussion are things that are rooted in whiteness and rooted in um, Western Uh, communities and western culture and I think a lot of um, our BIPOC understandings of masculinity have um, been hidden for so long so it was incredibly nice and um, really really touching and moving at times um, to read everybody's uh, like reconnection with their culture and the 
uh, and finding masculinity um, and different expressions of like masculine identity and, and of gender within like their culture. There was that sense of hope, but also the sense of different possibilities um, and understandings of masculinity. So it was being able to see kind of in fruition that masculinity can be queered and it can come from a QTI BIPOC air like lens because traditionally you we see especially for me as a trans masculine person you see a lot of skinny white guys um representing the idea of masculinity and it, so it was lovely to see all the different voices coming through and also the different visual representations as well I really like that what you were talking about with the perceptions that we often receive when it comes to masculinity and in the opening editorial you mentioned specifically how masculinity is often entwined with that western cis and like heteronormative understanding can you speak to the importance of finding an expansiveness of masculinity and queerness beyond these confines? It's incredibly important, but also a really difficult process. I think for a lot of queer people and trans people in particular, you're already taking a step outside of the commonly understood, um, like the commonly understood perception of masculinity. You've already left that behind. And one thing that I think the queer community should strive to do is not to recreate those same, um, you know, same harmful gender roles um, that, you know, that cis-hetero communities kind of perpetuate sometimes. Um, I think it's really important to see all of these different constructions of masculinity um, from different, like, from different communities, from people from different backgrounds, because like a lot of different BIPOC communities have faced different challenges when it comes to expressing masculinity. For example, I'm from like a Asian and an East Asian and Southeast Asian background. And so for a lot of um a lot of masculine folks in those communities, uh masculinity was forcibly taken from them by colonizers in an attempt to disempower um masculine folks within those communities on the flip side side you have um black first nations um different south asian masculine folks who have had the opposite happen they've had masculinity within their communities vilified um and demonized and made to be more aggressive than you know than people act like people actually are and it's been incredibly harmful so colonization and racism in that way has um yeah has definitely had incredibly like detrimental effects and i think that's why um yeah is part of the reason why like this why the why documenting journeys of constructing masculinity are so important yeah I think in terms of looking at rather than perceiving of it as just hegemonic masculinity it is white colonial hegemonic masculinity that we're really trying to push back against and yeah I completely agree with what Tian was saying a lot of it is rooted in colonization, white supremacy, and to be able to reclaim some of those different ideals of masculinity, but not to have to frame it within a specific cultural, like so-called Australia's context, um, and more frame it in 
individual and also multinational and diverse ways that and we were so fortunate to have so many different contributors from a whole range of experiences and um, places along their journeys as well share with us. It really felt like we were kind of um, like building something tangible as we got all the different contributions as we um, combined them together and ended up with the finished product. And I think it very like keenly that um, that uh, construction process reflected um, like the reflected like deeper journeys of creation um we were actually really fortunate to have most of our contributors for the zine um be trans mask people um trans people uh trans BIPOC people um which was incredibly important to us when we first started curating the zine that was kind of one of our guiding ethos is that we really wanted to center trans and gender diverse voices um in this scene and it's absolutely something that we managed to achieve uh and yeah, I think there's just, it was something really um, beautiful about being able to center so many voices of trans people who go through their own, you know, creation process when it comes to masculinity. A lot of, a lot of trans mask BIPOC people especially have had to kind of construct an image of masculinity for themselves because it wasn't something that was taught to them by the people around them, like as a child growing up. Uh, yeah. So that was an incredibly kind of healing and community building process, which I thought was really nice. I think also it was not only healing, but such a joy, joyful experience. Like some of the stuff that we saw made me like that we received and some of the submissions made me laugh. They made me like a little teary like and then with the um launch event as well the drag king who performed for us um his performance was just um, like it was so joyful and great so it was and I think that's also what we really tried to um like Tian said before highlight with the zine was that masculinity and concepts of masculinity don't always have to be negative or vilified like they have been with the BIPOC community. Um, so it was great to see and have physical joy brought to life. Both of you have kind of mentioned this, like the way that white supremacy codes our understanding of gender is so warped, like bodies are hyper-surveilled or hyper-policed, there's either fetishization or just being objectified or totally invisible. I guess with some of that as the backdrop, how did you begin to piece together um, as you said, there's so many like different types of stories um, to rupture such, I guess, shallow understandings of gender. And I guess if you had any explicit considerations in putting together these stories. Yeah, so as a team, when we first started curating the zine, we did come up with a list of um, 
like guiding principles, like a, uh, our ethos that we wanted to follow going into the zine. Um, yeah, so we had a few things. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is the centering of trans and gender diverse voices. Um, I think obviously trans people um, are like a minority within a minority, um, even within queer spaces, gender diverse people um, can be kind of left behind in like conversations about gender and kind of overshadowed by like cisgender um, patterns of gender expression that kind of carry over from non-queer communities. Uh, we also had a very strong um, desire to center and platform um, Indigenous, First Nations and Black uh, contributors, again, minority within minority um, within like this country uh, and also like overseas as well. Um, yeah, Indigenous and Black people are uh, like fate, like are often overshadowed by um other yeah by other uh other stories so it was definitely something we wanted to focus on um and the final thing that I can think of and maybe T will have something else to add is that we really wanted our submissions to not only like focus on the challenges of navigating masculinity but really like bring out the joy in it as well and although we do have some contributions that um that do you know shed light on the more like challenging and oppressive um uh aspects of navigating masculinity there a good number of our contributions really come back to where have we found community as queer masculine bipoc people um what sort of like what patterns have we managed to break in our own lives that have like led us to become closer to each other closer to the people in our lives and like more in tune with ourselves when we got um the cover art is when I was like okay this is kind of where we're going and it's such a beautiful piece of work I really love Tiberius's work it was just the joyful hands like arms in the air I was like this is what I want the vibe of the zine to be like. And I think when we all looked at it and we all received it, um, we were just like, this is amazing. This somehow kind of encapsulates what we've received so far as well. It was kind of like he was just able to manifest that somehow. I, I don't know how, um, but yeah, the joy, I think also kind of a discussion of of journeys we wanted to center as well. I'd not just focus on, and I think a lot of um, narratives about being queer or being trans uh, talk about a lot of going from a point A to a point B, but they don't talk about the stuff in between or um or even, yeah, mainly the stuff in between. Um, and a lot of that is about finding community and finding people who are, whose journeys even look remotely a little bit like yours. And I think just also being put out by Deify as well, having it being such a community-based collective in Canberra also was able to 
drawing that we're talking about community, we're talking about joy, and we're talking about some of the struggles, but we can share in those as well. I love how, you know, the zine kind of permits you to bring together like quite different worlds and all of them are so specific and intimate, like to each contributor. Um, Tian, I'm wondering if you wanted to speak a little bit about your work and why you wanted it to find a home in a publication like this. I, I just wanted to be able to preserve and archive um, a really important part of kind of my interaction with queer BIPOC people, which has been my friendships um, and those kind of deep relationships with um, other queer mask people. Uh, I was bringing in, you know, I was bringing in my... Um, I was bringing in my culture, I was bringing in food, I, which is a very important like part of, you know, my experience as like a, as a BIPOC person personally. Um, so I was bringing in my culture, I was bringing in my language and food and, you know, some of the most important people in my life into that, um, into that piece. And yeah, I just think that it's really important uh, for queer people um queer BIPOC people in particular, for our community to be archiving our experiences so that people like down the line, community members, you know, they can look back and they can see evidence of themselves and they can see evidence of the joys of community uh, like written down. They can hold it, you know, in their hands. They can hold a little zine in their hands and they can know that um, that other people exist out there who have found their community it's something so it's something that you know younger people can do as well outside of the immediate community like what do you think there are ways we can embrace queer masculinities like even if that's not your lived experience to find healing and freedom outside of the power structures we live in right now working within the power structures to change them kind of sense um but I think there's so many ways that we're seeing queer masculinities being platformed, especially by BIPOC people. And it's primarily, at least in my experience, online. Um, I think social medias can play such a good role in representing role models. Generally queering our perceptions of masculinity, um, I think even if you're not a queer or trans mask person, um, mas- uh, masculinity and the more toxic aspects of masculinity still have the power to oppress you. I think even cis men um, can fall like victims to the kind of very same perception of masculinity that like that they created themselves. Um, it has, it cuts a lot of like cis straight men off from their own community and I think um yeah and so even the people whom created the system even those people um are would benefit from the queering of masculinity not to mention um all other kind of all like queer men trans men um and non-binary folk and like women as well I think white cis men think that they're not touched by by these issues and by um, the systems that they've set up 
to benefit them. But like Tian said, they also negatively affect them as well, like community building and sharing. Like there's a reason that there's such a new emphasis on, or not new, but men's mental health is such an issue. But it's like you guys did that to yourselves in the first place. I'm sorry. But if you kind of, if you queered your thinking about it, to use more of a sociological application of the term queering, then you wouldn't have to be so like shut in and locked up within yourselves and you'd be able to share, like just be better off in general. You know, um, I think it's just important to, me- to remember that like we're not free until we're all free. And I think once we kind of emphasize that and realize that um, the kind of journey towards like embracing queer masculinity becomes so much more natural when you recognize kind of how it interacts with your own life, even if it's not necessarily your experience. Trans people are magic, trans people are sacred, trans people are healers, trans people are divinous, trans people are guidance. That is all for Race Matters this week. I'm Daryl Sargas. Thank you, Dylan Vandenberg, whose play Whitefella Yellow Tree opens August 19 at Griffin Theatre Company, and Tian NT from Day Fi Collective down in Ngunnawal Country for talking queer masculinities. You can listen back to episodes of Race Matters at fbiradio.com slash race matters. 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 Race matters.